What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Occupation Nation podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 11. I'm your host, Zach Horvath, and today on the show, we are talking to Peyton Pruitt about what it means to be a nurse. We look into what kind of schooling and internships did he have to do, or externships. How does real nursing compare to TV nursing? And we also look at what all the different letters and specifications and qualifications you can have as inside the nursing umbrella. So be sure to listen through, and if you have any more questions or anything that I didn't cover, uh, you can contact me at occupationpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's occupationpodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast if you want to support the show. I want to thank our supporters right now. Austin and Julie, thank you again so much for supporting the show. And, and I also want to say thank you to our sponsor, Sunny Sense Wax. Head over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Sunny Sense Wax to get you some amazing smelling scoopable wax and have your house smelling amazing. I mean, we're talking all kinds of different flavors. Fruit Loops, Skittles. I think she just added some new ones like cotton candy. So go over there, check it out, and use code ONATION10 to get you a little bit of a discount. So with all that done, thank you guys so much, and let's get into the interview. My name is Peyton Pruitt, and I am a registered nurse. All righty. When did you decide that you were going to be a nurse? Um, that's actually a really funny question for me because um, in high school, I knew that I wanted to do something in the medical field. Um, I said I'd be a physician, I would be a physical therapist, I'd be an athletic trainer. But the last thing I would ever be, the thing I would not be, was be a nurse. So never say never, because here I am. Um, basically what happened is I went uh, to UT Chattanooga and started touring and was talking about different things. Like, hey, go check out the nursing program. Didn't want to do it, drug my feet, went and checked out the nursing program. I didn't know what nursing was. Most people don't know what nursing is until they really get into it. I got into it. Um, I loved it. I applied. I was accepted, and here we are. All right. So uh, you said you were in nursing school, right? So before that, what what were some of the things that you had to do to get into nursing school? Okay. So um, I actually was a, was a little bit different for me because it was a freshman application. Okay. Um, it's different now. The more traditional route is that you pick the university or, or college that you want to go to. Um, you declare your major as nursing. Um, once you do that, of course, you get assigned an advisor just like anybody else, um, any other majors, and you start taking your prerequisites. Um, those science prerequisites include anatomy and physiology, microbiology, pathophysiology, chemistry, and things like that. A big thing that will set you apart is when you start shadowing and kind of getting into it, following nurses around. Um, things like that. But the biggest process is just making sure that your grades um, and your science courses are where they need to be. Mm -hmm. um, focus on those science courses. If your grades are a little bit lower in other areas, that's okay. But your science courses are going to make or break you. Um, the biggest thing that I did was just really, I had a really great relationship with my advisor. I would go to her and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. What do I need to do to get into this program? Um, so, and it also depends on the route. We can talk about that a little bit later. Um, as far as the, the associate's degree in nursing or bachelor's degree in nursing. Um, but the biggest thing is just declaring that nursing major and getting into those science courses. Mm -hmm. Every single university, every college that you go to, are going to have a list of classes that you need to take. Um, and I would kind of take the steering wheel of your own uh, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. your own college degree there and make sure that you're doing what you need to do. Make sure that you're looking up. Everything's posted online. Um, hey, the minimal GPA is a, is a 3.89, for example. I don't know what that is. That's what it was at UTC to get in. The minimum GPA was 3.89. So that's what you need to set your goals for. Um, so listen to your advisor. Take their advice. But at the same time, be in control of your own destiny and start looking into the things that you need to look into and making sure, hey, I am on the right track. Hey, um, although I said the science classes were super important, the behavioral science classes, the psychology, the sociology, the history courses, they're just as important as far as getting in to make sure they're complete. For example, if you have taken two history courses, but they require three and you apply and they're going to say, hey, good try. Your science grades are great, but you don't have that third history class as one of the prerequisites. So really knowing what classes they require and making sure that all your ducks in a row before you submit that application. Okay. Do you have a job before you graduate? How did, how did that work? Yes. So most uh, nursing students, when I was in nursing school, I would say 95% of us had jobs before graduation. Most of us had jobs really um, two or three months before graduation. Uh, How that works is is it's one of two, really three different routes. Um, Some people went ahead, once you complete your first semester of nursing school, you're considered a nursing tech or you can start go ahead and start working in the hospital, and you can start performing tech roles. So a lot of people, I was at UT Chattanooga, a lot of people got jobs in the area hospitals, and they were working on the units they thought they would want to work at as a nurse, as a nurse tech. For example, uh, one of the girls was in the neuro ICU, and she was a neuro ICU tech. She loved it. So as soon as it came around for graduation, two or three months out, she talked to her manager. She said, hey, I'm graduating in May. I should be able to take my NCLEX in this date. I want a job here as a nurse. Um, whereas I went a little bit different route. I actually didn't work in the hospital at all in Chattanooga. I did a little bit different. Um, and I applied to what's called a nurse residency program. Um, a lot of hospitals are going to nurse residency programs because you get you graduate from nursing school and then you just get thrown in. And they really want to make sure that you're successful because a lot of people, unfortunately, will walk away from nursing in that first year. Um, they get overwhelmed. Uh, they get burnt out and they walk away. So those residency programs are really there uh, to give you better education, to make you feel more comfortable, to really transition you from student nurse uh, to nurse because you think, well, student nurse to nurse, you graduate, you should be ready. But there's a huge difference going from having that resource of your nursing professor right there to a preceptor to taking care of anywhere from two, four, six, sometimes eight patients, depending on your department, by yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a lot to take in. So those nurse residency programs are awesome. I actually did a nurse residency program, and I accepted my job in March. Uh, So it just depends on what you're doing. Some of the girls, the reason they didn't have a job when they graduated is because they were going out of state. So the biggest thing is knowing what you have to do to get your license out of state. So if you're graduating from a school in Tennessee and you're going out of state. That's a whole other piece. Exactly. Figure out what you have to do for the licensing uh, criteria in another state and then jump in and you can figure out where to get a job. Okay. Um, So where did you get your first job? So my first job was at uh, Vanderbilt University Medical Center in their adult emergency department. It is the uh, level one trauma center for Middle Tennessee area, Um, but it was a nurse residency program. Their program was fantastic. It was very competitive to get in, um, but I felt very confident when I left, got out of that nursing residency program ready to practice our nurse on my own. Gotcha. Uh, What drew you to that specific section? Um, So I knew um, probably... Halfway through nursing school that the emergency room, emergency department is where I wanted to be. I did an internship um, the summer before I graduated at Murray Regional, and I would recommend that anyone that is looking into nursing do some sort of internship. There's also called externship. Do something 
before you graduate so that you know what type of nurse you want to be because a lot of times when you get out of nursing school, those hospitals that you work for and and sign on with, they're going to require at least a year commitment in your unit. A year doesn't seem that long unless you're miserable. If you're absolutely miserable in your department, that year is going to be a really long time. So I did that externship. I was in the ER at Murray. I absolutely loved it. Um, I did my preceptorship through nursing school in the emergency room, and the ER is where I've been the entire time. So there was no doubt in my mind I wanted to be an ER nurse. And Vanderbilt being a level one trauma center, um, that's where I wanted to go. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about your timeline here. So you're out, you're in school and you get hired on where? So when I was in school, um, I got the externship, I got the externship the summer before I graduated. So my program was five semesters, five semesters of nursing school. It was four total years. You have three semesters of prerequisites, five semesters of nursing school. So a total of eight semesters or four years, right? Mm -hmm. So three semesters in to nursing school. It was the summer before my senior year. That is when I did the internship. It actually was an externship. Um, it was paid. I got basically paid to be a full-time student, and it was incredible. So I did that. I learned so much. There is no uh, teacher like hands-on experience. You can learn as much as you can in a classroom, but when it comes to things specific like nursing, once you jump in, you can apply those skills, and you can learn from other people. It's a tremendous learning opportunity. So I knew right then I wanted to do emergency room. Fast forward. Um, December of my senior year, I submitted that application to Vanderbilt. I was interviewed in February, accepted the job in March, graduated in May, and this is all in 2016. May of 2016, I graduated, and I started with Vanderbilt full-time in July of 2016. It's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot (laughs) to take in, Um, but it was awesome. I can honestly say from a new grad perspective, I would recommend going into some sort of residency program Mm -hmm. because... They are specifically designed for that new nurse. Gotcha. Um, other jobs, if it's not a residency program, it can work. Don't get me wrong. Like You can jump in it and do a great job. But the residency program is designed for those new grad RNs that are, have never practiced on their own. Other places, you're going to take a job, and they know you're new. But unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is, you're hey, hired. you're hired. <laughs> We're going to do your orientation process for six weeks, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Three weeks in. We're short staff. You're doing a pretty yeah, good that's job. What I was about to say. You're you're gonna start doing it on your own. Whereas I had three months of orientation at Vanderbilt, yeah. and I needed every bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out as a as a student nurse, as a graduate nurse, and you know you think you're ready, and then you mm-hmm. get thrown into things that we get thrown into, especially in level one. I needed those three months, and there were times after that three months that I was like, I need help. <laughs> Someone help me. Um, but it is I would recommend a residency solely because it is focused on you and learning and making sure that you're not so overwhelmed that you want to walk away from this job forever. When you're in your residency, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Okay. You say you said it's uh, it's for new grads and stuff, but mm-hmm. what, what exactly are you doing? How is it different than a normal day now? Okay. So nurse residency. So you hear residencies, typically when you think residency, you think physicians, right? You go, they go to med school, they're in their residency. Residency is usually three to four years. Sometimes they have to go longer depending on what their specialty is going to be, and then they become an attending. So you back up and look at nurses. Traditionally, nurses didn't have residencies. They jumped in and got thrown into practice, and the old saying of nurses eat their own. Um, new grads were just sometimes overwhelmed, intimidated, all of the above. So hospitals have kind of taken a step back and looked at retention. Um, hey, we want to retain these nurses. We want them to be here for several years instead right. of us dropping all this money on their orientation and then leaving six months later. Um, so what happens with the residency, it is a lot of education. So I had to go through, because I was going to be in the emergency room, I had to go through a critical care class. 
um, that was several weeks long. We had to go through basic things like EKG interpretations, and we had a, a book based on different EKG rhythms and different rhythms we had to look at um, for the cardiac rhythms and things we had to recognize. And it was it was probably, I'm trying to remember, I'm going to say at least four weeks in the classroom. Uh, a lot of that combined with clinical uh, learning as well. Um, for my residency program, before I even started in the emergency room, I did rotations that helped me learn better. So I did rotations to the trauma ICU, the burn ICU, uh, the cath lab, the pediatric emergency department, and then we did a ride along with Nashville Fire and the ambulance. So basically allowing us to see how the hospital worked as a whole. Um, you know, the, the sickest patients are typically going to go to your ICUs, going to go to the cath lab. The sickest patients are going to come from the ambulances. Not always. Some of them walk in. Um, and then also being an adult emergency department we traditionally see 18 above adults but you still have those kids that walk in because they don't know where they are and we have to treat them so that's why they wanted us to have that pediatric experience in the pediatric emergencies room as well so lots of education lots of classroom learning so that's how it differs yes there's you're you're literally like focusing on education and learning this right instead of i mean you're still doing your job and you're still doing all that but the main focus of the residency is that exactly the residency is jam-packed full of education and you don't do this in your schooling you have to go out and do this yourself or so the whole time when when i say residency i was hired by vanderbilt this was vanderbilt's residency so in july of 2016 when i started this job i started as a nurse resident i was quote unquote a nurse resident until july of 2017 i was a resident for one year now what separates us a little bit from physicians is the first three months were solely based on education and precepting getting us ready to be that nurse by his or herself taking care of patients by themselves so three months of just very focused education, um, having a preceptor, someone assigned to me. So I had four different preceptors. I worked on what nights. Is, what does that mean? So a preceptor is someone, is a nurse that has been there for a while, knows what he or she is doing. Mentor? A mentor or, or someone that's training you. A preceptor is someone who gotcha. is training you. They Basically, you're assigned to them, and they are responsible for getting you ready for the day that you no longer have that preceptor. Um, so basically, their job is to train you so that when you're no longer with them, you can be the best nurse you can be and take care of the patients the best way that you know all the policies, you know the charting systems, you know everything, and you're ready to rock and roll. So three months of intense education and preceptorship. After that, I was on my own. I was nursing. I was working three to four 12-hour shifts a week, nursing on my own. And then we also had um, every month some sort of class. Um, so, for instance, we had uh, specific training in neuro, cardiac, pulmonary, things like that, just to continue our education to make sure that we were prepared to the best of our ability. Let's go into your day. Okay. Um, and so when I say your day, let's start with what is your schedule look like? Okay. Um, so based on schedule, traditionally and usually, um, you're going to work a 12-hour shift as a nurse. Doesn't mean you always do that, but if you're working in a hospital setting, an acute care setting, you're going to work a 12-hour shift. Now, if you're working in a doctor's office, uh, you're working in a clinic, obviously it's based on their hours. Sometimes you work 9 to 5, 5 days a week like everyone else, no weekends, no holidays, and people really like that. Um, you know, you look at the traditional schedule, like, oh, they work three days and that's it. Okay, fair enough, but three 12s in a row are mentally, physically, emotionally draining. That third, that fourth and fifth day, you're just ready to just fall over. Um, But if you are working in the hospital setting, most jobs require a 12-hour shift, um, three of those per week. 
Um, so you're either going to work days or you're going to work nights. Traditionally, new grads are going to start off on nights. I was fortunate uh, that when I was hired, I did uh, three weeks on nights just to train, and I've been on days ever since. I wouldn't do well on nights. I would openly admit that. Um, most of the time, it's going to be 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., okay. depending on what um, unit you're on. Now, the only difference in that is the emergency room, and the emergency room is just a little different beast in and of itself. The emergency room um, has schedules and shifts based on to fit the needs of the department. So if you look at the department and the influx of patients, it's a bell curve. Uh-huh. So from you know from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., you're not going to see that many people. But from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., that, that increase, you see yeah. that bell curve there, yeah. and then it drops off. So a lot of hospitals have started adopting mid-shifts. So you'll have your 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. nurses. So they try to... They try to hit it in the exactly. The, they try literally to, the name midship. Yes, exactly. So um, I've seen it. The, the facility that I'm in now, we have two nurses come in from 11 uh, a.m. to 11 p.m. But the previous facility where I worked at, there was a massive emergency department, uh, over 80 treatment areas. We had nurses coming in at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. So if you're coming in there, if you come in at nine, you're nine to nine. 11 to 11, 12 Wherever to 12. You start is where exactly. You you're gotcha. gonna do it 12 hours. Um, and then along with that, most hospitals require you to work some sort of major holiday and some sort of minor holidays. Mm-hmm. Your major holidays are going to be Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Your minor holidays are going to be things like Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day. Um, and then along with that, at some point, you're going to pick up a weekend. Um, I've seen it where you do every third weekend or you do every other weekend. Most hospitals don't require every weekend unless you just want to do it. Now, the nice part about that is when you work weekends, usually there's a weekend differential. So, for example, uh, one of the facilities I worked at, you get $6 an hour more just because you're there on the weekend because no one wants to work on the weekend. Right. Um, it's usually a 5 or $6 an hour uh, differential for uh, holidays, and then there's actually a pay increase for night shift. So whatever your base pay is on night shift, you can usually add anywhere from 3 to $5 an hour simply because you're night shift. So they try to increase your So if your you need incident. money, it's night shift on weekends. Exactly. That is exactly <laughs> the way it is. Those new grads who are coming out with debt, Saturday and Sunday nights. Grind it out, friend. baby. Exactly. Grind it out. Friend. And you can, <laughs> you can have a little extra money. You're going to be exhausted, but you're going to have a little extra money. Yeah. So we're going to talk very specifically about emergency nursing. Now, if you're in another department of the hospital, it's, your day can look completely different because you're mm-hmm. not in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Um, so it... I've worked at three different facilities and three different emergency rooms, not counting my experience in nursing school. But the most important part of getting your day started is making sure that you are prepared for whatever comes to that door because that's what everyone, for the most part, if you're an ER nurse, loves about the emergency room is that there is no typical standard day. Mm-hmm. You literally have to take care of whatever walks through that door. Um, it could be someone with something minor, and it could be someone that is already deceased and their CPR in progress. So it just depends on what comes to the door. But the most important part of getting your day started is making sure that you're prepared. So you're going to go into your all of your rooms. Typically, um, now you're going to have three room assignments. So that means you're in charge of whatever's in those three rooms. Sometimes the facility I work in, you can have two or three family members checking at the same time with kids. So you might have three patients in one room. It just depends on it. You just assign the room. So you got to make sure your rooms are ready going to make sure those oxygen uh, tanks are full. You're going to make sure your connectors are there. Make sure you monitor with all your leads. It goes back to what you're saying. you got to be ready for everything. Exactly. You have to make sure that your rooms are ready because it is not the time that you're in CPR in progress to realize that you don't have an oxygen tank. Exactly. You're behind the game. So the biggest part of getting your day started in the emergency room is making sure that you are ready for whatever the day throws at you. Um, depending on if there's uh, 
patients in the hospital at the time or in the emergency room. Sometimes you walk in and there's no one in the emergency room. That's very rare. Sometimes it happens and you can kind of take a little time to get your day started. Other times, um, what usually happens is that you have patients that you have to get report from, from the night shift or day shift or whoever is leaving. So your day is going to start with getting report on those patients, making sure is that... Is that you- common throughout all nursing that they need Oh, absolutely. Their, you know, you, gotta, you have this handoff period where yes. you got to... Um, so generally it is really hard that it, stuff seems to always happens at change of shift. Mm. Um, but generally from six forty-five to seven you're going to have change of shift. There's a really, a really big push right now for nurses to do bedside reporting. So what that means is if you're in the hospital right now, that your nurse from night shift is going to come in the room and I'm going to come with them. Okay. And we're going to talk about you specifically. That way you that can hear what's going good. on. Yeah. You can hear what's going on. And if something you don't understand or something's like, wait, that's not right. We mm-hmm. haven't done that. You know, if they say, hey, we had this specific test done last night, you can say, no, we didn't. We didn't do that. So we do that. So basically the most important part is number one, making sure that you're prepared for the day. And number two, figuring out what your current patients need, why they're there, what they need, and how you can either do one of two or three things. Um, Number one, if they need to be transferred to another facility or admitted to the hospital, we got to figure out what we got to do for that. Do they have any outstanding treatments that you need to to finish out? Um, Or what do we need to do to get them ready to get off the door and get them home? So making sure you're prepared for the day and getting that uh, bedside or that patient report off so you know who you're taking care of is how you're going to start your day. Now from there, yeah, that's why I asked where do you start because I know it's crazy every day, right? Uh, So before you walk in, are you like, all right. Um, It depends on the day. Um, Sometimes, you know, when I was working um, in Nashville, that was an hour commute. Um, So So that was your time. So day four of four. Um, you've worked, you know, you're about to work 48 hours. So out of the past four days, you're going to work 48 hours, right? So that's a lot. Um, so you're trying to mentally prepare yourself for that day. Um, the biggest thing is just forgetting everything from the day before. You can't bring any of yesterday's bias with you today. Um, cause unfortunately, um, I have worked in a facility that even the emergency room, you can have admitted patients there for up to 36 hours. Never, it should never happen that you have to take care of the same patient in the emergency room, but sometimes it does happen, and you just have to erase all of what happened yesterday and get ready for today. I feel like that's an important point um, that I never thought about till right this second, but that's got to be a big deal, right? You mm-hmm. just got to, okay, this has happened, but today's going to be a different day, right? Yeah, and that's on a daily basis, but that could be on a minute-to-minute basis. I mean, when you have uh, three different rooms true. and you have different patients with different needs, you can have someone that is near the end of life, but mm-hmm. someone that's also expecting new life with the baby. Um, you can have something as serious as respiratory distress, respiratory failure, cardiac, you know, whatever it is that's super serious. But then in the next room, someone that has something as common as the flu. And you just kind of have to be what you need to be for that patient. And sometimes there's a 30-second transition of literally telling someone, we just ended a code. This person is deceased. There's a 30-second transition to go talk to that next patient to take care of them. So how, how, do, you, how do you handle that? Do you just, you just do it? Or, like, I mean, how do you go from... Like, all right, you know, this guy comes in and you're hyped up and then you got to go, like, you can't be running around and screaming to new patients and stuff. So what's... The biggest thing... Is that just experience that you learn that through or... You learn it through experience. There's a lot of clinical experience that comes through nursing school, but I can honestly say that nothing in nursing school will prepare you for what you're going to face as a nurse. Um, It just won't. And I don't mean that derogatory towards any nursing programs. Nursing programs are phenomenal. Mine was phenomenal. I loved it. Um, But there's just, like I said, there's no teacher-like experience. Um, The biggest thing that you can do is just focus on the needs of your patients. It can no longer be about you. Um, And But also at the same time, focusing 
you're focusing on your patients and what they need, but also realizing that sometimes you just need to take a step back. Maybe you need five minutes just to go breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you don't have five minutes, and sometimes you're going to have to wait two or three hours before you can really just go and kind of process all of that. Um, something that's been really cool and I've seen before is that after, you know, you sometimes you code someone for one to two hours and you really invested. What's so code mean? means that you're CPR in progress. You're trying to save someone for one to two hours and you're exhausted. So you're mentally, physically, um, emotionally exhausted from trying to work on this one patient for two hours. Um, and sometimes it's really important to debrief and everybody talk about the different things that went really well, some of the things we could do better, and just kind of let people experience and express how they feel. You know, I've been in the room with uh, nurses who have been nurses for 10, 15 years, and all they know is emergency room, and they're incredible. But at the same time, when you lose a patient, they still sometimes cry and shed tears because it's just, you know that that was someone's grandfather, someone's father, someone's whatever. We're all humans, right? Right. I mean. And so sometimes you just need that minute to, to take it, to express it, but at the same time, you got to suck it up and go to the next room. So I have a question just dwelling on my head. Um, do you guys hang out in stairwells? I've never hung out in a stairwell. Because I've seen some good stuff on Grays. So, well, that is okay. Let's just stop right there. And I've said this multiple times. I've talked to a lot of different. We got to debunk this here. Let's debunk this Grays theory really quick. I've talked to a lot of different individuals who are like, yeah, I think I really want to be a nurse. I want to be this. I want to be that. I'm like, okay, what do you, why why do you want to do that? Well, I'll watch Grays. Okay, so. If there's nothing glorious or glamorous based on what you watch, I've never even watched Grey's Anatomy. I, I refuse. It's quite entertaining. Um, but that there's nothing realistic about it. It's just that it's entertainment and drama. Um, and if that's why you're going into nursing, you're going to be very, very disappointed. <laughs> And you're going to be very, very miserable. So that's yeah. why I say it's very important to get out and really know, know why you're gets. doing it. Yeah. And the shadow and to watch. Um, you know, they talk about the break room and stuff, but I've had days where I went 12 hours with no lunch and those little peanut butter cups you see, like you're eating those as you're walking to the next room. Um, you so know you're so you're, it's not the case where like a new person walks in and you fall in love with each other and. All I've that good never stuff. personally seen that happen. <laughs> I won't say that it doesn't happen, but I've never personally seen that happen, at least not in the emergency room. I, I asked Jimmy the same question about you know TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, debunked. It ain't like Grey's, people. No, it, it ain't like Grey's. There's not a single um, medical drama out there that I can watch and not get frustrated with about the things that they do and say. Um, so get out there and really get your hands dirty before you decide you want to go into this profession. Don't base it on something you watched on Netflix. Touche. Nursing responsibilities are a quote-unquote nursing day in general, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to get to the hospital, you're going to get to the clinic, you're going to get wherever you're going. But I, most of my experience has been in the hospital, so that's what I'm going to talk about because that's what I know. Yep. Yep. So if you, wherever you are in the hospital, you are going to get your assignments. So there's going to be a charge nurse who's in charge of your department, your floor, whatever, um, and they're going to give you your assignment. Um, your assignment can be two patients. So if you're in the ICU and critical care, you're going to have two patients for the day or two rooms. If you're in the ER, hopefully you're going to have three. Sometimes you have four. Depends on the day. Rooms, if you, right. Three rooms, correct. Three rooms with three patients in them. Um, if you're on the medical surgical floors, um, hopefully you don't have more than six, but I know realistically you may have more than six patients slash six rooms. It just depends on staffing for the day. So once you get your assignment, you're going to go find the nurses who has previously been taking care of those patients that you're now assigned to. You're going to get the report that we talked about, that bedside report. Um, you're going to talk about what this patient has done while they're there, what they need, and basically how you can take care of them in the best of your ability today. After you get um, that report, 
basically you're going to you know say, all right, get out of here. You go get some rest. I got this. And now these patients are your baby for the next 12 hours. Whatever you, they need, you're going to take care of them. So you kind of get your day together. You look at what these patients need. Are they going for tests today where you need to get them ready? Um, what are their specific needs for the day? You're going to look at things like, um, are they alert and oriented? Are they completely confused? They have no idea what's going on. Um, what does their diet look like? Can they eat or drink or can they absolutely not eat or drink because they're going to surgery today? Can they have this? Can they have that? Um, you're going to look at, can they walk on their own? Can they ambulate or every single time they want to go to the bathroom today, do you need to help them get to the bathroom so they don't fall and break something? So you're going to really get to know your patient the best of your ability through that report and through reading their, um, their chart and things like that. After that, you're going to go and you're going to meet them. Um, hopefully you've already met them through your report, but if you haven't met them yet, meet them. Try to establish some sort of a report. Hey, I'm going to be your nurse today. I'm going to be taking care of you. If you need anything, let me know. At the same time, you're going to be doing an assessment. The assessment is going to tell you, yes, that nurse that just gave report knew what he or she was talking about, and I agree with this assessment, or... I have no idea what they were just talking about. We were talking about two different patients because what I just assessed on this patient is completely different than what I got, and it happens, unfortunately. So the biggest part about the assessment is just making sure that you know where that patient is right now so if they change later on in your shift, you know whether they're getting better or they're getting mm -hmm. worse because, unfortunately, patients can get worse, and you kind of got to have that baseline mm -hmm. of where they started at 7 And you're not just taking the word of this of the person Exactly. You. It's a very dangerous practice to take the word of someone. Now, I'm right. not saying, obviously, you're not you've saying got they're a trust. liar or they're right. wrong. but Exactly. But things, honestly, I mean, depending it's your on call where you are, when right, you're there. if you're in the critical care unit, that patient could have changed in the last five minutes because that's why they're in critical care. Um, so you're going to do your assessment. Along with your assessment, you're going to probably do some sort of medication pass. So you're going to get their morning meds started and things like that. Um, from that point on, it just depends on what the day brings. Gotcha. Um, so it, it involves things like... Is it reactionary or is it... Uh, whatever the other flip side of that is. So proactive area. Proactive. <laughs> um, so if you you can be proactive, hundred percent, right? So if you make sure that that room is safe, uh, their call lights within reach, their bed is locked, and they don't fall, you can be proactive, or you can be reactive and not doing those things and go pick your patient up off the floor. Okay. Um, now, granted, you may be the most proactive preventative. You can't do everything, there, right? And then. That patient still falls. I've been there. I've been there that I did everything that I was supposed to do to make sure that patient didn't like, fall. Come on. And they exactly and they still end up <laughs> in the floor. Um, but basically it's just applying all of those nourishing skills and and things that you've picked up along the way to get through those twelve hours. And at the end of the day, if your patients are still safe and they're still alive and they you've met your goals for the day, then you you did a great That's job. a good day. Yep, exactly. Okay. So do you do all those same things? Do you meet with patients and in bedside reports and and these early meds and being proactive and stuff how, how do you do that in your role i mean so is that even possible it is possible because i've worked in the emergency room where you have admitted patients for 36 hours so i've literally been in the situation where in one room i had an icu patient who was extremely sick and unstable in room number two, I had a med surge patient that was needed to be admitted because they couldn't take care of themselves at home, but they were not critical, meaning that they weren't going to die in the next hour if we didn't do something about it. And in this next room, I have an actual ER patient who they're brand new. We don't know anything about. And so kind of balancing that scale to make sure you can be what you can be, ICU nurse, med surge nurse, and ER nurse at the same time. Now, the facility that I'm at now, we generally do not have admitted patients there that long. Um, so the previous facility mentioning the ICU med surgeon ER patient, you're just doing 
what you can do to take care of those patients. There's orders that are put in by the doctors. Okay. Um, so you're fulfilling those orders, whatever those orders may be, uh, the medications that they need, um, the different, you know, if they need to require oxygen, if they require a specific type of nutrition, things like that, taking care of them that way. Um, but let's just, let's do this. Let's walk through, let's say you walk through the emergency room doors right now. Let's, mm-hmm. Let me walk you through that mm-hmm. and show you what I would do in that situation. So, for example, um, if you walk through the emergency room doors right now, you would be greeted by one of our nurses, um, someone who re- recepts you, puts you in the computer, but also a nurse, and we get your chief complaint. So if your chief complaint is something that's life-threatening, let's say chest pain, shortness of breath, stroke-like symptoms, we're going to yank you to the back immediately. You're going to tell them your name and date of birth, and we're going to worry about everything else later because we're going to get your treatment started. Um, So we're going to do all those necessary treatments. If you're having chest pain, um, we're going to get an EKG that gives us a quick assessment right there if we need to work faster, if we have a little bit more time. Um, We talked about the EKG a little with with the paramedic podcast, uh but... Tell me again what it is. So the EKG, basically, what I'm talking about is a 12-lead EKG. So we take uh, what we like to call a snapshot of the rhythm of your heart. Okay. Um, so we can tell pretty much right away whether you're having a heart attack or not, and what that's called is a STEMI or ST elevation. And we can see that based on the QRS um, complex. Um, and all of that sounds really technical, but if you're in <laughs> nursing, then you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Or you will one day. You may mm-hmm. have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but one Maybe day you, you want to know, and exactly. that's why you're listening. Exactly. So <laughs> if you are one of those patients that meet the chief complaint criteria that we need to move a little bit faster, then we move faster. General rule, if emergency nurses are moving really fast and working really hard in your room, you're pretty sick. Another general rule is if you check into the emergency room and you've waited for four hours, I don't want to say that you're not that sick, but it's good news. There's a reason that you're not immediately exactly. taken in the back. It's good news. So basically, the longer in the emergency room, not always, but generally, it means that you're stable, right? So if you come in and you have a chief complaint of something that could be a whole ballpark of things, right. um, then we're going to get you triaged. And what triage means is that we're going to do a, a quick assessment. We're going to look at your vital signs to make sure nothing's outside of normal. Um, after that, we're going to get your story. What were the on? What you know? What made this start happening? Where? When did this start? Where is your pain? Why? You know this, that, or the other. And then we're going to assign you something called an emergency severity index or ESI. That is one, two, three, four, and five. So when you come to the emergency room, you're going to get a number with that emergency severity index. Okay. That is exactly how we keep order because who gets seen in the emergency room next is based on that triage and based on that ESI score. An ESI of one means that you are dead or dying. So you don't ever want to be a one. Traditionally, when we bring them back, we say no one unless they're pediatric. That's what I thought. Um, And after we get them settled, once we get them settled and everything done, we'll let up to two family members or friends or whoever's Mm -hmm. with you come back. Um, but and that's uh, not because you don't want them there. It's because of it's for the patient, right? Absolutely. Um, because sometimes, you know, ER rooms are not the biggest in the world. Um, I've seen as many as not the current facility that I'm in, but my previous facility, as many as 10 to 12 people in there at one time, because there is so many things that we have to get done. And if we can all be a part of the team, whereas if I was doing it by myself, it may take me 30 minutes to get done. But if we all do it, we can get it done in five minutes or less and get you ready to go where you need to go. Which is what I want as exactly. a patient. Exactly. If you are if you are truly there for an emergency, you want us to rock and roll and go as fast as possible and be as precise as possible. And that's what our goal is. That's what our goal is to take the best possible care of everyone. Um, so, you know, back to triage. When I'm triaging someone, I'll tell them, be like, hey, um, 
based on what you told me, based on your vital signs, um, I'm going to go ahead and pull you back, and I'm going to tell you why. Sometimes, now granted, now sometimes we may be empty, and you may be an ESI of five, which ESI of five is like the least severe. Mm. That means you pretty much need nothing from us. And I'm going to go ahead and pull you back because there's no one here, and there's mm-hmm. no reason for me to put you back in the waiting Situational. room. Situational. Exactly. It's all, everything in the emergency room is situational, but as nurses, we try our best to educate you and let you know, hey, this is why I'm putting you back in the waiting room, or hey, this is why I'm going to go ahead and pull you back. And the biggest thing is just communication, communicating with patients like, hey, you know, based on your signs and symptoms, we're going to go ahead and get you pulled back so the physician can see you. Or, hey, based on your signs and symptoms, um, we're full right now. We're going to get you pulled back as soon as we can. We're going to update the physician of why you're here, and we're going to take the best possible care as possible. Now, sometimes in triage, we might go ahead and get lab work started. We might go ahead and draw blood, get urine, whatever we need to do in triage. So while you're sitting in the waiting room for 30 minutes, sometimes, unfortunately, four hours, um, all your stuff has resulted in the lab, and that way when we actually get you pulled back, we can tell you, hey, this is what we found. We want to run more tests. All right, this is what we found. We think you know, this is what's going on. Let us tell you what's going on. We'll discharge you and get you out of here as soon as possible. Um, so just like I said, situational, or like you said, it's very situational. Tell me about what the, you know, all these different letters and numbers and and acronyms and all this stuff. What does that mean? Okay, absolutely. So, like I said, a lot of times um, when you're in a clinic, you're in the hospital, you're in whatever, someone's going to come in and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm a, and insert alphabet soup. I'm a CNA, LPN, APRN, FNP, this, that, or the other. And a lot of times you are left wondering, what on earth does that mean? I hope this person is qualified to take care of me. And the answer is yes, they are qualified to take care of you. If they've been there, they've gone through a credentialing process. But let's kind of break down that alphabet soup so you know who it is that take who it is that is taking care of you and kind of what education they've had and, and where they come from. So we'll start. Uh, with CNA. CNA is a certified nurse assistant. Uh, To be a CNA, generally, um, you can do it a few different routes. Sometimes uh, high school students will actually do it through their HOSA classes. Um, Other other ways to do it, you can also go um, to vocational school settings or even sometimes facilities such as nursing homes or hospitals offer a CNA class. So generally what this is focused on as a CNA is taking care of a patient's what's called ADLs or uh, activities of daily living. So feeding, bathing, walking, dressing, all of those things that the nurses or the, excuse me, the patients cannot do on their own, the CNA is going to be responsible for helping them do that. Um, they assist the nurse with whatever they may need assistance with, along with generally CNAs are also responsible for obtaining vital signs. Now, a big piece there, they're not in charge of interpreting vital signs, meaning that they can't make a decision that a patient needs a particular treatment based on those vital signs, but they can obtain them and report them back to the nurse. So that is what a CNA or a certified nurse assistant in a nutshell will do. Uh, The next step is your LPN or your licensed practical nurse. They also can be called vocational nurses. Uh, Generally, they will um, get their education through some sort of vocational school, hence the name. Um, You can get uh, your LPN through a place like TCAT in Tennessee. Um, Generally, what they do, um, they work in settings such as clinics, uh, nursing homes, assisted living, sometimes in the acute care setting. Um, what separates LPNs and RNs is the education. Um, when you start talking about RNs or a registered nurse, there's actually two different routes or two different forms of education that you can become a, a registered nurse. Uh, one of those is through the associate's degree or what's called an ADN program. Uh, generally, these are through your community colleges. That I think of places like Columbia State. Uh, I went to school in Chattanooga. Chat State had a program, things like that. So what's... Um, 
whether you have your ADN or your BSN, you can still become a registered nurse. Um, the difference is, is your associates program are going to focus on the skills and, and what you need to take care of patients after you graduate and obtain your license. To obtain your license after you graduate, you have to take the NCLEX, which is the licensing um, exam. Uh, and it's a national exam you have to take and pass that. And once you pass that, you can become a registered nurse. So looking at education, uh, BSN versus ADN or the associate's degree. The associate's degree classes are going to focus solely on those skills that you need. For example, you're going to take classes like um, med surge 1 and 2, pharmacology, uh, women's health, pediatrics, uh, psych or psychiatric nursing, th nursing, things like that, so that when you get out of that program, you can take care of a patient. Um, the BSN classes that they're going to throw at you on top of the courses we just mentioned include uh, research, uh, so it's specific to nursing research, so how uh, you can kind of take a process in nursing and make it better and do research based on that. Uh, leadership, uh, how you can become a better nurse leader. Uh, pathophysiology and classes like that. Um, so generally, when you graduate, you can take care. You have both uh, forms of education. You come out with an RN, so you are you can come out eligible to take the NCLEX to become a registered nurse. So you can take care of the same types of patients. You are created equal because of your license. What sets you apart generally is that most of the time, now not always, there's never a blanket statement that says always, um, but generally for those management positions and leadership positions, they want you to have your BSN just because the management pieces are just going to be that, that research, that leadership, and they want you to have those courses um, so that you're better prepared to lead and, and to, to really um, be the best leader you can be for those nurses under you. Um, from RN, or um, you can kind of move on to your master's degree, um, you can become what's called an APRN, which is an advanced practice registered nurse there. That is an umbrella term for four different types of providers or nurses. Um, it requires a master's degree, so you have to have your BSN, and then you can get your MSN or your master's of science. Now, there are nursing programs out there that will bridge you from your associate's degree straight into your master's. You're going to have to take the same courses you took as your bachelor's degree, but it'll bridge you, and sometimes it's a little bit faster. So the different um, things, there's four different groups that fall under the umbrella term of APRN, or Advanced Practice Registered Nurse. That would be your nurse practitioners, uh, so your family nurse practitioner, your acute care nurse practitioner, and so on and so forth. Uh, your CRNAs, which is the Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist, um, those are the ones that you see in the ORs in different places, then they are working hand-in-hand -hand with the anesthesiologist. Um, you have your nurse midwives, and those are the ones who work directly under the care of um, OBGYNs, and they're the ones who can uh, focus on women's health and labor and delivery or delivering those babies. And then you have what's called a CNS, or a Clinical Nurse Specialist. Uh, so all four of those can fall within the umbrella term of advanced practice registered nurse, once again requiring a master's degree. After that, um, you can get what's called a DNP or doctor of nursing practice. Generally, that is focused on um, research and making um, you take basically an issue or a problem in nursing and you expand on it. And your dissertation, if you will, is how you can make that process better. Um, another term that you might hear in the hospital that you have no idea what it means is uh, respiratory therapy. They'll come in and say, I'm your RT. Respiratory therapy um, work hand-in-hand -hand with nurses, but they are not considered a nurse. Um, they go to school. There is a program at Columbia State. It's a respiratory therapy program, and basically they know everything that there is to know about the respiratory system. Um, so uh, from ventilation to oxygenation, um, they're going to be able to take care of you. They're generally the ones who assist in the intubation or when you have to breathe for a patient. 
Um, they set up the CPAP machines. They do the breathing treatments and things like that. So that's also part of that alphabet soup that gets thrown out is that RT or the respiratory therapy. Now, I know that I'm leaving people out, but just for the sake of our time and including nurses, that, that kind of breaks down your alphabet soup and allows you to kind of understand the education level and, and who's taking care of you. There's also certifications that you can obtain, um, but there's specialty certifications. For example, I have my CEN. Um, and that just stands for Certified Emergency Nurse. It just means that I've been an emergency nurse for a while. I took a very long and very difficult test, and now I'm certified to be a Certified Emergency Nurse. So there's also a few more letters out there, but that's that's the the, the most popular letters, or the most uh, frequent letters, if you want to say popular, the most frequent letters that you will see to kind of break down and understand. So, bottom line, if you're listening on the podcast... You can take that as you may. You can slow it down, you know, bring it back just to make sure you have the baseline of all these different all these different steps and, and places you could be as a as a nurse. Is that all under nursing? Is yes. that what all, all of those of that, are? Again, respiratory therapy is not necessarily considered a nursing uh, in nursing. Yep. I just want to yep. throw that out there because they're part of the everyday care in the hospital. I don't want to leave them out. But everything in there falls under the umbrella of nursing. Okay. And one thing that I kind of want to, uh, you may ask this in a minute or may have thought about asking, one thing I want to kind of clear up is that it's not necessarily a stair-step process. Don't okay. feel like you have to do one before you can do the other. Um, I've never been a CNA and I've never been an LPN. I went straight into my program in nursing school. And when I graduated, I had my BSN. And three weeks later, I took the NCLEX and became an RN. Um, so it's not necessarily a stair-step process. Uh, so don't feel like, wow, if I ever want to be a nurse practitioner, i got to go through a lot of different things. No, yeah. it is a lot of different work, but don't view those letters and certifications and, and, and license as a stair-step process. There are things that kind of, like I mentioned, the bridge program that can bridge you into another program to mm -hmm. get you ready to rock and roll for that. How stressful is this job? Um, the biggest thing, um, it can be it can be extremely stressful. I'll put it that way. It can become very stressful, but it's all about how you handle it. Um, so on the inside, you may be freaking out, but on the outside, you have to be the calm, collected nurse that's ready to take care of whatever's in front of you. Um, so and it's it's different type of stress, right? So it, it's with all jobs, it's different type of stress. With different types right. of nursing, it's different type of stress. Um, it depends on what type of unit. Is it a critical care unit? Is it a med surge unit? Is it an ER? And you know what is the type of stress? Um, so really and truly, yes. There's not a single nurse out there that will tell you it is not stressful. It is absolutely stressful. Um, but it's all about how you handle it. It's all about your leadership. Does your leadership support you? Uh, do you have the resources that you need to take care of patients? And that is something that before you ever take a job, you need to look at the leadership and the resources. Right. Because if you don't feel like you can adequately take care of your patients, it's never going to be a good day. And you're always going to be stressed. Again, some days are better than others. There's some days that I walk away from the hospital. I'm like, I love this job. I love it. And there's some days that I'm like, I'm never coming back again. <laughs> um, so it just depends on the day, you know, and it's all about the team around you. It's all about your leadership and, and being there to help each other, help take care of the patient. So to answer the question, yes, it is stressful. <laughs> Um, but it just depends on the day and depends on that patient population. Gotcha. So the first thing that you need to decide is what you want to be, right? So if you think to yourself, I want to be a registered nurse. Okay, awesome. All right, the first thing you need to do is when you start looking at universities, are you going to go the associate nursing route or are you going to go the bachelor nursing route? 
Um, and the first thing you need to do is when you start looking at universities is do they have a nursing program, right? Because if you want to go to, and a lot of program or a lot of universities have nursing programs, okay? But you need to decide wherever you're going to go that they have a nursing program or go into it knowing that you're going to have to transfer at some point because if there's not a nursing program in the university, then you can't go to nursing school there, right? It doesn't make sense. It's just like any other major. If they don't have a business degree there, then you can't go into business at that university. So a lot of times what people will do is just to start getting experience. A lot of high school seniors will go ahead and take that CNA class. Most high schools now have the HOSA programs, the Health Occupation Students of America. Most of them, once they finish the HOSA program, will already have their CNA, and they can start working. Uh, but the biggest thing is deciding um, – if you want to go the college route, if you want to go the community college or the college route, is deciding on a, on a university or a college that has the nursing program. Once you figure out the nur- that, yes, they do have a nursing program, the next step is meeting with that nursing advisor. They are going to be your life source for nursing. They're going to tell you all the requirements. They're going to tell you the classes. They're going to literally say, hey, this is what you need to do to make sure that you can be successful in our program. Um, this is the classes. This is what we recommend. We recommend that you get a certain amount of volunteer hours. We recommend that you get a certain amount of um, shadowing hours so that when you submit your resume to get in our program, you have a better shot of getting in. So finding the university that has a nursing program and then talking to those advisors. I still am in touch with my nursing advisor today. I sent her a wedding invitation because Mm. she was my lifeline for all things nursing, and she was wonderful. So find that nursing advisor at whatever university you pick and become friends with them and allow them to guide you through the process of getting into the program. Um, Now, with the programs, typically um, the associate's degree, so you do one year of prereq. So let's just say Columbia State, for example, they have an associate degree of nursing program. Um, You'll do one year of prereq, so getting some of your science courses out, and then you'll jump in that second year of college, and it's a four-semester program. So after four semesters of nursing school, you'll have graduated with your associate's degree in nursing, um, and then you can sit for the NCLEX. If you go the bachelor's degree route, generally you're going to take, it's going to be a four-year program. Um, So associate degree, it's three years. BSN is four years. Um, Generally, of course, it's going to be university-specific. Um, you're going to take two to four semesters of prerequisites or general education courses focusing on those anatomy and physiologies, microbiology, pathophysiology, etc. And then you're going to do four to five semesters in nursing school. So you get accepted. Again, talk to your, your, your advisor to figure out what that process looks like. And then you're in nursing school. And once you finish nursing school, um, you can sit for the NCLEX. How hard is the NCLEX? So the NCLEX is pretty difficult yeah. um, and it has to be I right? could assume it would be yeah, right absolutely there's um, good news is most nursing programs have an NCLEX prep course so just like when you look at high schools you have those ACT prep courses you have NCLEX prep courses so they're going to get you ready because it looks bad on the university if they produce nursing students who cannot pass the NCLEX that means they're not a good program so the nursing program is going to do every single thing that they can to make sure that you're going to pass that NCLEX because every single this is one thing to look when you're looking at universities and nursing programs is look at their NCLEX pass rates. If their NCLEX pass rates are out the roof, that's a program you want to be in. If they're really low, like in the low 90s or 80s, not saying that they're not a good program, but you need to be very aware of that going in, okay? You want someone that has a 100% pass rate because, again, if you have a nursing degree without a nursing license, there's not a whole lot you can do. You've got to have the license. What would you say is some of the the bad stuff, the, the stuff that maybe you're like, all right, this ain't my favorite part or or this kind of sucks. 
So the, you know, going into anything, you want to know everything about it and to be completely transparent about things. Um, some of the things that you're going to miss out on, um, the hospital never closes, right? So mm-hmm. you're going to work those holidays and you're going to work those weekends. You're going to be there um, taking care of people's family members while missing out with your family on Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, whatever it may be. You're going to have to miss those uh, weekend gatherings. You're going to miss, um, you know, People were always like, oh, nurses work three days a week. It must be awesome. But at the same time, those three days you're working is when everything's going to be scheduled. So, hey, come over at 5.30. Okay, well, yeah. I work until 7 p.m. Yeah. And oh. then I'm exhausted yeah. and I'm disgusting. I'm not coming to your house you know, with flu A and flu B all over my body. <laughs> right, um, right. So, so that is one negative piece. Um, it is awesome if you can work out your schedule that you know those three days, it's you know, you're not missing a whole lot because then you have four days off. Now, generally, you are going to have to take some call time, but, you know, you can be at home getting stuff done around the house and be on call. So um, that is some negative things. Um, Sometimes, uh, when I say sometimes, most of the time, unfortunately, nursing can be a thankless job. Um, And what I mean by that is there's not a whole lot of gratitude, um, not a whole lot of appreciation. Now, every now and then, you will get that patient who is wonderful, super appreciative, very nice and compliant, and you're like, this is why I do my job. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, next door, you get the patient that can be very verbally abusive um, and abusive in other ways, um, who um, does not appreciate anything that you do and can make some very derogatory comments. And unfortunately, assault um, is an unfortunate part of the job. Now, mm-hmm. people are making strides and efforts to try to make that better. Um, but after two and a half years of being the emergency room nurse, I can tell you I've been kicked and I've been hit. Um, I've been called things that I would never imagine calling anyone else, much less someone that is taking care of me. Um, so that is definitely a negative side that you have so much responsibility and so much stuff going on at one time and you're trying to take care of people the best of your ability, but yet you're trying to take care of this patient at the same time and get called the names that they're calling you and feel super underappreciated at the same time. So that um, that honestly is one of the main reasons people walk away from the bedside. Um, there's I won't say they walk away from nursing because there's a lot of things you can do as a nurse outside of the bedside. And what I mean by bedside is direct patient care, right? So when we say bedside nursing, we mean the direct patient care, the people who are taking care of the patients who are laying hands on them and doing everything that they can to take care of them. Um, so that's probably the biggest negative aspect of it is the way you're treated sometimes by patients and their family members. Um, you know, I mentioned the holidays and the weird work schedules along with that. Um, and then it just, you know, there's little things here and there. Um, then that's what's so important about when you're looking to, for somewhere to work is not just looking, you know, so many times in jobs and in life we get caught up on how much am I going to make a year? How much am I going to make uh, per hour? Which is important. We got to make money to eat and to survive. We That's, don't work because right, we, exactly. like, we don't work love for hanging free. out and working. But one of the biggest things to look at in, within a hospital is their leadership and their management um, and patient-to-nurse ratios, right? If you're not supported, if leadership's going to leave you out to dry, it doesn't matter how much money that you're making, you're going to be miserable. Um, if the safe patient recommendation or the safe patient ratio recommendation recommendation is one to three, meaning one nurse per three patients, and that generally is what it is in the emergency room, and you have five patients, you're going to be miserable and you're going to be stressed. <laughs> and that, quite frankly, is going to put your license on the line because you can't take a, adequate care of patients. So... The, the way you're treated sometimes by patients, the sometimes the weird work schedule, and then also um, the lack of support. And I can honestly say I've always been supported at the hospitals I've worked at, and this is not like a, 
you know, me talking bad mm-hmm. about anyone, mm-hmm. but this is just, it's something it's a reality. You, right, it's a reality that you must look at. You must know when you get hired. What are your top two to three things where you're like, this is why I do this. I love it. So I've always, um, like I mentioned before, I've always known I wanted to go into healthcare. I knew I wanted to help people and I wanted to help take care of them. And that is what nursing allows me to do. So one of the reasons, you know, one of the things I love about nursing, the one a reason that I picked nursing over being a physician or a physical therapist or whatever, you know, the, the whole long list of being in the medical profession is that nurses provide direct patient care. I get that face-to-face opportunity to talk to people to make a difference. Um, I love people, and I love to talk to people, and nursing allows me to do that. It allows me to get to know people, to make a difference in their day, and actually get to spend time with the patients. Now, I don't always get to spend all the time I want to spend with those patients, um, but I get to spend time with them and get to see that what I'm doing is making a direct difference in their life. Um, and I think that's the most rewarding thing. Like You know, you have... In the emergency room setting, you have people come in in an asthma attack or an anaphylaxis reaction or the long list of reasons that they come in and you know exactly what to do and you know that your treatment reverses whatever is going on in their life and you can see them walk out of that hospital healthy and ready to take on life and get back to their everyday life because of the the interventions that you were able to do. What's the salary around here? What's the average? Like what? I I don't know. Again, uh, as always, it varies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I kind of talked about previously in the podcast about the different differentials. So um, if you work at night, you're going to get a little bit more money than if you work during the day, simply because night shift is not generally um, where we want to be. Now, some people love night shift, and they'll never work anything but night shift. They'll work as a night shift nurse for 30 years and wouldn't imagine going to days, and that's them. That's for them. That's not for me. Um, but generally, um, what I've seen at night is a three to five, sometimes more dollar differential just for working at night. So, for example, if your base pay is $25 an hour, then if you work at night, you're going to get $28 an hour only because you work at night. Um, it's going to vary with your level of um, experience. So, you know, the new graduate nurse who has zero experience and graduated a month ago, what they're going to start off versus the nurse that's been working for 15 years. Which is fair. Years. Exactly. And it's, it helps with retention. There's also generally a difference um, in what department you work in and depends on how specialized you have to be. For example, uh, generally there's a critical care pay incentive. So if you're in the ICU, you're going to make a little bit more. Or if you're in the cath lab, you're wherever, and it requires specialized care, you're generally going to make a little bit more. Um, so... In Nashville, the Middle Tennessee area, most new graduate nurses are going to start. And this is, again, based on my experiences. I don't know for sure. I can't say that if you start a job tomorrow, this is what you're going to make. Right, right. But generally, you're going to make anywhere from 20 to $24 an hour as that new nurse. Um, and generally, it'll increase from there. Now, most of the time, new nurses start off on nights, so you can throw in that nightly differential. Um, and then, obviously, it increases with your years of experience. Uh, the type of hospital you're at, the type of position you're in. So if you're in management, you're going to make more money, um, as you should, because you're in charge of things. Um, and then also you have to look at, too, the hospital that you're you're working in. Um, generally, your huge teaching hospitals, you're not going to make as much because everyone wants to work at the teaching hospital because that's where everything happens. That's where the state-of-the-art technology and the state-of-the-art care is happening, and that's where you're going to learn the most. Whereas you look at a rural critical care or a critical access hospital, 
And what is a critical access hospital? Critical access hospital is a hospital that is kind of in the middle of nowhere, if you will. So they are critical access, exactly what it means. So they serve, you know, they're a regional center. They serve like seven to eight counties in their surrounding area. Whereas you look at Nashville, there's five hospitals in Nashville within four to five miles of each other. So you have lots of options. The critical access hospital, it's that hospital where you got to drive three hours to go to another hospital. Generally, those critical access hospitals generally pay a little bit more because um, they don't have the surrounding areas. They don't always have the most favorable um, areas to live in. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but they don't have the restaurants. They don't have the city life, the, the you know, the things that people are attracted to, the convenience, if you will. Um, generally, they're going to pay a little bit more. Um, and then you look at travel nurses. Travel nurses make considerably more, but they get three-month assignments. You're at a hospital for three months, and then you're going somewhere else. So again, um, the biggest thing with nursing, um, obviously, don't pick nursing because of a salary. You're going to be miserable and you're going to hate your job, but that's anything. Don't pick any job based on a yearly salary because you're going to be miserable. But the thing with nursing is once you get your license, people are always going to be sick. People are always going to need health care. You will literally be able to get a job anywhere that you go. So if you know a family situation or you just decide individually you want to go somewhere, anywhere you go within the United States, you're going to be able to find a job somewhere and be employed um, because of that license. So it's more of the job it's like security. It's, what? it's like cutting hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so people always, there's things in life that people are always going to need. So with that license, um, there's more, there's so much job security with that. Um, so would you say nursing is your dream job? Well, I don't work, uh, as a full-time nurse. I'm in full-time youth ministry right now. And I work PRN at the hospital that I'm employed with. Um, I think helping people is my dream job. So, and that sounds all you know, high and mighty and fluffy. I mean, it is what it is, right? But and, and whatever it, makes right. You happy. And I don't want to just you know put myself on a pedestal or anything. But just at the end of the day, if if when I walk away from any of the jobs that I'm doing, if I feel like I've made a difference in someone's life, then that's what the end goal is. So, um, yes. So if you get to do that, that's your dream job. Yes, helping. Just at the end of the day. Um, doing what, being whoever I needed to be for whoever I needed to be it for and helping them and making a difference in their life, then I'm doing my job well and it's what I want to do. If you're looking for more information and you want someone to talk to, then Peyton might be your guy. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm always willing to talk to people. I've actually talked to a lot of different people, um, actually done some presentations for classes and things like that. But um, I'm going to give put, say my email out loud, but then Zach can also put it up on Occupation Nation's website. Uh, but my email is Peyton, P-A-T-E-N, Pruitt, P-R-U-I-T-T, at gmail.com. Um, I'm not going to say that I'll immediately respond because uh, things are kind of busy, but I will get back to you as soon as possible and try to answer your questions the best I can or maybe even point you in the right direction for the resources that you need. Um, but I'm always happy to answer any questions. So there you go. If you're interested, if you heard this and you're like, man, that sounds really, really interesting to me, or if I didn't ask a question that you wanted to know, shoot him an email. He'll get back to you. Maybe we can get this ball rolling. Absolutely. Thank you again for doing yeah, this. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And that'll do it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot. That was a really, really great informational interview, I think. Um, so I had a lot of fun listening to Peyton and learning from him. Again, if you need to contact him, just shoot him an email and see if uh, he can help you out. Also, uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Onation Podcast, as well as subscribing and leaving us a review. That really helps us out. 
Uh, thank you all so much for listening. If there's any part that you like, just tweet at us at Nation Podcast, and we can get a conversation going. Uh, thank you all so much again. And maybe, just maybe, nursing is the occupation that you've been looking for. Thanks, and we'll see you on the next one.